our church members that live in East Asia and work with the Nosu people, uh, of which we have adopted a county in their area called Puga County. Um, we are committed as a church body to pray for this area and pray for uh, churches to start uh, among that minority people group in East Asia uh, that would reproduce to the third to fourth generation uh, in that county. Um, they have, uh, this couple have sent to us a prayer calendar. Uh, the month of September is a uh, month of specific prayer uh, for uh, the work in the Nosu areas. And so if you were in a small group this morning in Sunday school class, you uh, would have had opportunity to pick up one of those uh, calendars. We have those on the desk. Um, as you leave, if you would pick up one of those that will tell you how to pray each day of the month of September. Uh, we also have this in digital form. If you'd like to have that put on your computer as a background screen or something like that, you can notify the church office and we could uh, send something like that to you as well. Uh, but we want to make that a, a personal commitment. Uh, and for a church to do that is resting upon individuals such as yourself saying, I will pray every day. Uh, for that work, and I, I assure you that the time you spend in prayer for them is not time wasted. In fact, it may be the most effective time for eternity that you will do the entire day. Uh, so if you want to be productive, uh, prayer is one of those things uh, that uh, allows us to do that. So just want to mention that to you. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts uh, chapter 20. This is a very full Sunday uh, for us this morning, and it is a good full uh, in that we can celebrate um, the specific manners of what makes a church a church and focusing on Jesus Christ. And uh, I love how God made us so that we learn, not just by hearing, some of us learn by hearing, but by doing, being baptized and taking part of the communion and I think it's pretty neat that God designed us to worship by eating. I think that's pretty neat uh, that we can do that. Uh, and so that's uh, some of what we'll be doing uh, today. And so, um, you know, the book of Acts was written to talk about how God's mission through Jesus Christ of a group of disciples in Jerusalem, his mission, his dream to build Communities focused on Jesus and His Holy Spirit that would spread throughout all the world. From Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the other parts of the world. So one of the arguments for the existence of God in Jesus Christ is the existence of the church. How do you explain the fact that the church exists in light of the fact that it's been opposed by powerful forces all from its beginning, and yet it's still here. So Acts records how it came about from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and Paul is, of course, a, a, a primary figure that God uses in spreading the churches and the message of the gospel of Jesus uh, all over the world. And so we have talked about his first missionary journey, second missionary journey, and there is one more, the third, and which is kind of kind of run through real quick. And Paul has a dream. We, we hadn't heard it expressed so much in Acts, but 
it is in some of the other letters, he has a dream one day of going to the capital city of Rome. Uh, in Acts 19, as we've finished, uh, it finished up his time in Ephesus, where Paul spent three years there, and uh, very effective ministry, and now it's having riots of thousands of people who don't like the fact that the idol worship is being undermined and the uh, profitable trade therein. So Paul is at this time planning uh, to leave, um, and so as we read chapter 20 and we see this transition, uh, what's covered in just a few texts is actually about two years worth of Paul's life. Uh, looking at around the 44 to 46 A.D., uh, we're able to, to pinpoint exactly when things are happening because of a, the feast days that they talk about. Uh, and so these are about two years. It's covered in just about six verses. Uh, and then there's this interesting story. Uh, it's kind of humorous, actually. Now, I'm sure it wasn't then, uh, for us to read together uh, and that Luke has saw as critical in the story and to include it. So let's uh, read this in honor of God's word. Let's stand as we read this together. And as we read this, I want you just to think about what commitment to the church looks like as we read this passage. Commitment to God's church. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. When a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater, the Berean, son of Piraeus, accompanied him and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychius and Trophimus. And these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But when Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up, I love this part, and when Paul had gone up, broken bread and ate, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the sheep to the ship, we set sail for Assus, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assus, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Caius. The next day we touched at Semus, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus, so they might have not to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. You may be seated. Studies are showing that church worship attendance is less than it was even 15, 20 years ago. And there are several different reasons for that. But one study was focused on the fact that 
it's not just that those who are unchurched aren't coming. It's also the fact that the definition of faithful worship attendance has been redefined. Some of you remember the day and age when uh, someone who was classified as a faithful attender of worship meant that they went to church two times a week, maybe three. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then Wednesday night. And that was defined as faithful attendance. Now, uh, according to the studies of those in churches, uh, when someone is classifying themselves as a faithful attender of a church, it's now classified as two to three times a month. You go to church two to three times a month. Um, which, because, you know, there's always some Sunday that you're going somewhere, doing something. And so, when that is applied across the scale, faithful attendance now looks a lot less than it did 15 years ago. And so that has effect on the week-to-week worship. Uh, and so that's just what the studies are showing nowadays of how we define what faithfulness to a group of people are. Now, when I say church, I, I, you need to understand that the, Bib- the Bible teaches church is a people. You don't go to a church, you meet with the church. This building, this room, only becomes the church when we are here to meet for the purpose of worshiping Christ. So, in a real sense, you did bring church in with you. Right? And when you walk out, you take the church with you. This is the worship center, but it's not the sanctuary, because the Bible teaches that the human that is in Jesus Christ is now the sanctuary of the Spirit of God. So special buildings passed away when the temple became obsolete. All right? So it's not a reversion back to the Old Testament, but it is to say this is a new type of worship where we worship in spirit and truth. Remember where, where Jesus said, listen, Samaritan woman, there's a, a controversy about where you worship and what place you, you meet. And he says, there's going to come a day and time where it's not really about the place. God's looking for those who worship in spirit and truth. So, as we think about that, what does it mean for us to meet together? And I want to specifically look at this word of what does it mean to be committed to a church? Looking first at Paul and his example, then looking at how the early church expressed commitment, and then finally looking at how God expresses uh, commitment. And we see all three of these exemplified in some form, some fashion, in this little passage that we're reading. So uh, what first looks like a little ship log, and it is a ship log of Luke writing down the details of this is what we did, this is where we went, and this is what happened. We kind of get lost in the details, but let me try to unpack a little bit about what's going on. In fact, if you want to kind of get a, a commentary of what Paul was thinking and feeling as he, as he goes about, read 2 Corinthians chapter 1-7, through 7, and it is Paul writing about his thoughts and feelings as he is making these journeys. Uh, and it's very interesting to read as, as he goes. Uh, and so this is about uh, two to three years of ministry, or he's had three years in Ephesus, now he's leaving, wanting to... Uh, to stay through Pentecost, according to uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, and now he is sending Titus to Corinth. So as he is making this journey, there is a spiritual problem happening in Corinth. He sends Titus along, and he sends a very evidently 
difficult letter according to Paul's own hand. He sends a difficult letter of dealing with sexual immorality that's in the church and confrontation that must be made. And so Paul is leaving Ephesus, going, sending uh, Titus ahead, wanting to hear some word, will the church still receive him? And so he goes to this place called Troas, uh, uh, and he is waiting, hoping to hear from Titus. And as he is in Troas, he, uh, he doesn't get word from Titus. And so he's so anxious that even though a door is open for him to do ministry, he continues on. And it's almost in the spare time he starts a church in Troas, and he goes on uh, to Macedonia, evidently to Philippi, and there he meets Titus, gets good words, and so in Philippi, he writes 2 Corinthians, all right? And so then he continues on and ultimately goes to Corinth, and there he writes the book of Romans. And all this, he is collecting, all this while he's collecting money. Some of us think, well, he's, he's doing this to encourage the churches. Yes, he's going to churches that he started, but he's collecting money. It's a fundraiser. He said, now I want you to give. If you read 2 Corinthians, you're going to realize there's a lot about giving money and tithing to support churches in Jerusalem. As we read this, I want us to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18, to kind of give a little bit of the heart of what's happening with Paul. As he is in this little episode, he is in Philippi, waiting to hear back from Corinth, and he sends this letter in this time of transition. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but I'm not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our our self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As he writes this passage, he's talking about the things that he's endured. Why is he enduring these things? One is for the glory of God, but second, he says, I'm doing this for your sake. You need to understand that any time a discipleship community exists, it's because someone is laying down their life. Paul was laying down his life one time after the other so that churches can exist. This church exists. If I, if I know this scriptural principle... It exists because someone and some group of people endured a great deal of sacrifice for this church to exist. 
You need to understand that if we are going to pray for discipleship communities to start in Puga County, it's going to happen because someone's going to suffer and being willing to suffer. And the first start is for us to pray. And to pray and ask God, start churches there. I praise God for folks like uh, men like James Pooley, his wife, who was the first pastor here, from what I understand. He was a chaplain in the military. Was dealt with a, a good bit of health problems. But when the group of people that wanted to start a church here was looking for him, he said, I'll do it. Don't pay me. I'll do it. I praise God for people like that who endured. So there, there's the commitment of Paul. But as we keep on reading here, I want you to notice in verse 7, there's something else that comes out. There's the commitment of the early disciples in the discipleship community. I just want to bring some things to your attention. Verse 7 says, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. All right. I want you to understand what's being said here. This is the first and clearest evidence that the Christians started celebrating on Sunday. Started worshiping together on Sunday. What did they do? Remember, most of these were Jews. So they celebrated and worshiped on the Sabbath day. That's our Saturday. So do you understand what these Christians are doing? They're meeting for prayers on Saturday. And a lot of things were not working or not at work at that day. Sunday was a work day. But there's a thought in their heart, this is when Jesus rose again. This is a good time for us to meet together. So they're meeting not just on Saturday, but they're meeting also on Sunday. And notice when they start to do this. They when they gather together, break bread, and then it talks about how this is going on until midnight. You know why it's going on until midnight? Because they don't start till late. Why? Because they are working all day. So understand the commitment of the early disciples to say, okay, yeah, we've we got in our system. We're going to worship God on Saturday because that's what we've known to do. But we're also believers in Jesus, so we're going to worship God and through Jesus Christ on Sunday. And I know we've got to do work, but, you know, we want so bad for us to meet together. Let's do what we can. Let's just meet when we get off from work, and we'll eat a meal together. And they go, <laughs> in this case, till, well, till the next morning. All right? Now, this church at Troas, remember Paul was only there for a little while. This is a church that he kind of started just in passing. And so these are not the, the veterans of the faith, so to speak. These are folks that are just learning, just growing. So let me just ask you, how well attended would we be if I said, you know, we're going to start having church on Saturday and Sunday. And you know what? Let's just make sure we start at, start at 9. I say 9 p.m. and you're already checked out right there. Me too. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm you know, exhausted. But just something for us to consider is as these early disciples are meeting together, the commitment that they are expressing that through the work, through it all, they said we want to be together. And so the practice typically was is that when it talks about breaking bread, that usually they would come together and would eat a, a meal together, and then after eating the meal, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that was the typical pattern and fashion uh, that was there of the early church. So there's no, that's a good reason why we still have it in our DNA Baptist to eat meals together, right? And there's a few things we do well, and eating food together is one of those things. It, it has a long history, all right? But part of that history is 
We want to be with one another. And we can't be with each other long enough without eating because, it, you know, several hours you got to eat. And so that's what's going on, the commitment that they are expressing to one another. And so uh, Paul is talking with them. He prolonged his speech until midnight. I was meeting with some of the believers in, in India, and they were telling me that, that they meet for worship at 11 p.m. And they go to about 2 a.m. Why do you do that? So that their worship doesn't get the attention of those who want to kill them. That's what's happening in churches in various places. Uh, in, in India and other places around the world. And so here they are, they, they're doing the same thing, and, they, and they're prolonging. Uh, Paul is just doing what pastors do. Um, so I can't, you know, I always get jokes about how long a sermon is, because the pastors, you know, we hear that a lot. Um, the best one I've heard is, it was so long that the church member left in the, in the service, and the usher asked him, why didn't you? You know, what are you doing? So I got to go get a haircut. <laughs> so why didn't you get a haircut beforehand? I did. <laughs> I mean, there's, we joke about that a lot. But you know, here, you can really make a statement like, okay, this is what's going on. But there is a desire for the Word of God. The church was made up of a couple of things of commitments. One of them was a commitment to the Word of God. A commitment to one another, committing to celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And so here they're doing that. And so it's, it gives us little details. It's late at night, after working all day, a lot of lights, ox- oxygen is a little low, and so they're gathering by the windows so to get some fresh air. And this poor man, his name Eutychus, which <laughs> unfortunately means fortunate. Lucky. Lucky. We had a cat named Lucky. Um, and it's just... You call him lucky because it's usually not what happens. And, and here this, this guy, Lucky, falls out the window. Um, it's an apartment-type setting, three floors down, and he, and he dies. So we have the luxury of laughing about it. But I assure you, at that time, there was no laughing going on. And so this takes us not only to the commitment of the early disciples for discipleship community, but I want us to look at the commitment of God. What is God's commitment to being a part of a church and having a church? So here this man falls. Paul goes down. Bend over him. Take him in his arms. Said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Essentially, this is a resurrection that takes place. You only see this a few times. Elijah, Elisha were the only ones in the Old Testament. Uh, Those were widows' sons. This has a lot of similarity to that. Of course, Jesus rose. Lazarus from the dead rose another daughter from the dead. Um, Peter raises a daughter up from the dead. And now Paul. But usually what happens, a lot of times these are done to show the power of God. And John, when you see these miracles, they say, this is the power of Jesus that's going on. 
Uh, and, and so there's a usually a significant reason why a miracle is taking place. You see this in the early church. A lot of times it's to show the unbelievers this is the power of God. Listen to the gospel. But what's unique about this is this is a group of disciples. And no one seems to be pleading Paul. Paul just takes the initiative and does this. Why? When you see the miracles that take place, it is to show us what the future normal will be. When you see God's power do miracles, it is supernatural, it is abnormal here in this existence, but it is a picture, uh, a, a foreshadowing of things to come of what the new normal will be in God's kingdom when there is no longer presence of sin. So the blind see, the lame walk. Those who have been ostracized because of diseases like leprosy are no longer inflicted as such, and they are reunited. This is the future of God's kingdom. And in the future of God's kingdom, God is telling them a message that and there will be a day and time when death will be no more. What, what, is, what is behind that? This is behind Jesus Christ dying for us and rising again to show us he is developing a community of people who no longer belong to the rules of this world. But God is working very active and letting this new church understand there is an eternal kingdom. So what is God's commitment to the church? God's commitment is such that he will display his power to bring dead people to life again. So notice what happens. I love what happens next because it's almost like the text is saying, yeah, he raised this man, Eutychus, from the dead. But that's not the real important part. (laughs) It's like, it's just a little side note as he reads this. It says, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul gone up, and broken bread and ate. He conversed with them a long, a long while until daybreak and so departed. He said, look, you know, you fall dead. That's okay. I'll raise you from the dead. Let's carry on with the service. All right? That's, that's how Paul ro- Paul's rolls. He's like, Let's, we got a message. I got something to tell you guys. And so I just love how it's kind of this matter of fact uh, explaining of what's happening. And Paul's saying this is the real point here. And so then the text says, uh, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. All right? This is kind of an understatement right here. It's like, wow. This faith that we entered in, death can't harm us. And so how does communion look, which is what is happening there. They took bread, break bread. They're saying they, they took part of communion. What does communion look like when you say, I'm going to eat this bread, which is a picture of Jesus Christ coming into me in my life, his spirit in me, and that his body was given for me, and I'm going to drink of this cup, which is a picture of his blood being shed on my behalf, and now it's a part of me. What does that look like when you just have the person down the pew from you get risen from, rose from the dead? This is powerful, and it is the power of God and starting churches in Troas. Troas pauses there for a little while, and he's going to make every hour count, and he's going to go on because he's got a goal to be in Jerusalem by Pentecost to bring the offerings there. But don't underestimate the power of God. God at work. Do you understand that when you look back in your life, 
and all the things that are happening, the good things in your life, the bad things in your life, it is the movement of God in your life, in your heart, to draw you to himself. And you see, when God draws you to himself, he's not just giving you an eternal living relationship. That's enough right there. But then he says, I'm going to draw you to myself, and you're going to know more about me by bringing others that I'm drawing to myself, and I'm going to draw you together, and we're going to do the mission that I give you to, to, to do, and I'm going to show you who I am through one another. See, I can't see Jesus. He's no longer here in the flesh, but the Spirit of God has been given to us. So that I can see what righteousness looks like in the church body. The Spirit of God has been given to us so that I can know the conviction of God's Spirit through the church body. And, and, and this is why it's so critical to say, I want to be committed. Not only to Jesus Christ, but I'm going to be committed to His body. His body. The church is described... The local church is described as the body of Christ. It's amazing how we'll say, well, you know what? I love Jesus. The organized religion, not so much. And there's a lot of things I can understand about that. But when we mean by organized religion, that group of people who organized around the mission of Jesus Christ and his word and those leaders that they set up, If that's what we mean by organized, and we say, I love God, but I hate that. Do you understand? It's kind of like saying, you know, I really love you, but your body is really disgusting. I just, you know, he has called his local church the body. He's called it his bride. Now, guys, how would that work if I said, yeah, let's hang out, but I don't ever want to hang out with your wife. She's annoying. I don't want to be around her. That wouldn't work. It shouldn't work. It shouldn't work. He's called the church his bride. So Paul gladly spends his life to see churches start. And those who are early disciples gladly sacrifice their nights, their free time, their spare time, and say, I want to be with one another. But above all these things, you see God sending his son to die for your sins so that there could be a people who are called by the name of Jesus and having his spirit within them that will work together to do his mission. We call this group Green Pines. I don't know what God calls it. It's more important to know what God calls it than what we call it, isn't it? But I want to make sure that we are committed to the Spirit of God. Commit to one another. Love one another. Forgive one another. Serve one another. He asks hard things that require you to die to yourself. But if you believe that there is an eternity, it's okay. (laughs) You see... What does that person do when they realize, wow, this life is not all there is. I've just seen Eutychus over here die and rise again. Yeah, I want to care for him, but I'm not going to live for my physical well-being. I want to live for those things that matter for eternity. You see, 
for you've risen with Christ. And if you have risen with Christ, then we seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said, I'm not going to eat of this, drink of this cup again until I do it with you in the kingdom. And so as we drink this cup, there's a very real thought that this might be the last time I celebrate communion here on this earth. But it will not be the last time I celebrate communion. It gets so much better. This is just a little cracker, a little bit of juice. But what awaits us is the presence of Jesus himself. His church unified with no sin there. And rejoicing in the spirit that this is just small in comparison. And like Paul said, whatever you endure, whatever you suffer in the name of Jesus Christ and this church, I'd reckon it's not even to be compared with the glories that await. Do you believe that? It will be bared out by what you endure and hope for. Let's pray.